ברוכים הבויים בשם השם, וירחנוכם מבייס השם. Tonight's shir is a Mietz Hashem dedicated to the loving memory of Mordechai ben Menashe. Unfortunately, didn't have many years, much time to raise his own children. Did not merit. Decline it and put it back on. Invite him. man was taken from amongst us at an extremely, extremely young age. But interestingly, intriguingly, or however you would like to put it, what do you think? Leave it. A man between him and his wife Zainizun Shesibriya shall have long life, Virginia. Sorry? Before. No, I don't need that for background. I need this phone for background. Thank you. has raised his children, has brought the beautiful, two beautiful children, two very, very special children. Darren, should live and be well, his children, Yecheskel, Terry, who meets Hashem in the next week and a half, going to go into the chuppah an auspicious hour Shev, give us all much much nachas happiness and joy and he and his wife should enjoy many many happy years how apropos is it that in a parasha parasha schukas is a yard site of a young person like this. When the person was taken from amongst us, everybody was asking, why? Why two Pitzlach children and a wife, a young wife, why did this happen? And it's Pasha's Chukas that tells us that very message, Zeis Chukas of the different 
types of mitzvahs that we have. Chukim are mitzvahs that we don't have an answer to. We don't have the explanation for. And therefore, it is this parsha that fits the outside, where we ask and we can ask again and again, what happened? Why did Marachai bin Menashe not merit to raise his children, to take them to the Chuppah, and to see grandchildren? Ironically, this week, the seventh oldest person in the world, Chava Rivke, I forget her father's name already, Yosef something, 114 years old, born here in America, Ephraim Shemesh Shabbos woman, FFB, from from birth. Her parents arrived here from Nezhen, excuse me, um, what's with her parents? Arrived here from Nezhen in 1886. And remained, they were Hasidim of Lubavitch. They remained from, steadfast from, could be with her grandparents. She's trying to figure out then when were her parents born? When was her father born? She grew up here and remained from. Her father had this chus. He was of the few people that owned a car when the Friedrich Rebbe, the previous Tabavich Rebbe, arrived in America. And her father had this chus of going to the docks and driving the Friedrich Rebbe to where he had to go. At that time, or a little later, Chavarivka, known as Evelyn, had fallen ill. She was 30 years old. And in those days, medicine was not exactly what it was, what it is today. Not that there's any great shakes today. And now it's only going to get better with Obamacare. And they were very, very concerned for her life. The father went running to the Fidik Rebbe for a bracha. And the Rebbe gave her a bracha for long life, for longevity. Langi gizunti yarn. On Gimel Tammuz, she passed away at 114 years old in Maimonides Hospital. Every one of her children, God condole them, is from as are her grandchildren and her great-grandchildren. She stayed the last few years in her 
grandchild's house in Brooklyn, and people used to come for brachas. They would come to her for blessings. After all, person that's blessed with such longevity, and she was full to her faculty. She was walking around till 110 years old. She was walking around and getting around and doing what she had to do. He used to say such a person has a special level and one that definitely is meritorious to bless others. I'm sure Baruch ben Menashe, had he been alive today, would have that same, wouldn't be 114 years old. As a matter of fact, that you just may just be able to start collecting Social Security. But his investments are what keep him alive. His children are what keep him alive. And this is therefore why why we have the schus to dedicate the shir tonight in his name. Pashas Chukas talks about the Pada Aduma, the Red Heifer. It's not going through to the Skype here for some reason. Hello. Check out Steve Sullivan's yeah, voice. He fell off. I'll put him back on. It's your job. The Red Heifer. Red Heifer. Is a level of a chok. The chukim of mitzvahs that we have no idea why. Zeis chukas hatera. The Tera tells us, we have a known question. Zeis means these are the chukim of the whole Tera. So what does it begin to tell us? It doesn't tell us the whole Tera. It starts to talk about the Para Aduma. It should say Zeis Chukas HaPara. And we can explain this, perhaps, according to what it says in the Medrash. <coughs> when it comes to the Mitzvah Paraduma, Shleim HaMelech said, I'll call Ela Amadati, Paraduma Chakarti. On all this I stood, and Paraduma I started to delve into. Call your brothers to make sure they're back here by ten. Vishalti and I asked the Vishvashti Amarti and I said Achokma Vihirikimani. It is far from me, I don't understand. I cannot grasp what this is all about. 
So this mitzvah is the only mitzvah in the Teda that Shlema Melech did not grasp the reason for. Although most mitzvahs have reasons for them that are understandable. According to Seichel. There's so many ways to do things. Some of them involve Seichel. What if it does this? It's clear, it's sure, that we don't have the reasons for the mahus, for the essence of the mitzvahs. We know that mitzvahs are commandments the Almighty asked of us to do. And it's the ratzen of the Almighty, it's the want of the Almighty, that we devote ourselves to this mitzvah. Without delving into understanding why, what, when, where. And the fact that there are reasons for them to many, many mitzvahs. Because the Almighty wanted these mitzvahs to be understood. But not necessarily are they have actual reasons to the essence of their mitzvahs. We just know these are what the Almighty wants us to do higher than any understanding, higher than any reasoning. Mitzvahs are divided in different levels, and the chukim are the mitzvahs that are not understood according to Seichel. But yet we do them, because they are the Almighty's commandments. Therefore we say, Zeis chukas The mitzvah part of Haduma has in it the teichin mitzvah of the entire Torah. How so? Because the chukah in the para is not only a mitzvah, is an old mitzvah, not only a mitzvah that generalizes all mitzvahs, but it tells us just like this mitzvah, we don't have the reason for, so too we don't understand the mahus of all the other mitzvahs, the essences. Until I don't get lost, we'll make a mirev after Call cool Yankee, get Yankee here also. We get the boys back. We good. There are many things we don't understand. There are many things that remain questions in our minds. And there are many things, therefore, that we have to take for granted that if, the Hashem, if Hashem blessed us with this, this is how it is meant to be. Many of such things are very difficult to grasp. Many of such things are difficult to accept. But this is our task. To see to it that we accept with complete faith that this is what Hashem wants. There was a Yid in Elizabeth, New Jersey, the Pinchas Tites, amazing rabbi, an authority known throughout the world at the time. We knew of Pinchas Tites only because there was a pizza store in Elizabeth that we were able to eat in. 
And we used to learn in Mara's time, we used to run to Elizabeth to get to the pizza store. It's up there, right? It's under Rabbi Tights. No. Joy Z. Mara's time is New Jersey. The Pinchas Tights had very interesting customer. The Pinchas Tights, before the fall of the Iron Curtain, frequented. No. Frequented the former Soviet Union. Doing so, he would bring with him books. He would bring with him trillin, mezuzahs, all different religious articles that he could possibly bring with him. Needless to say, this is all illegal, and getting caught would not be good. Therefore, I don't have the Gemara either in English. You sure? And therefore, he was actually putting himself in jeopardy by making these journeys. But he had a good rapport with Russian officials and with different authorities, and therefore was able to get through. It never failed that before Rabbi Tights embarked on a trip to Russia, a package arrived from the Lubavitch Rebbe for him to take to Russia with him and to give it to somebody there. The package always had mezuzahs or tefillin or sedurim or whatever it might have been. There's one other fellow that once went to the border, once flew into Russia with 21 sedurim. He asked him, what do you need 21 sedurim? He said, I'm here for a week. I pray three times a day and I never use the same siddur twice. Why? Why? It was the excuse that he gave them so he could bring in the 21 sedurim or else he wanted to let her bring it in. But Rapinachas Tights, this time, besides the package he received, the shliach that brought it also handed him a tanya. And he gave him a tanya and he told him, this tanya that Rebbe spent, sent to you specially, and the Rebbe said you should carry it with you wherever you go in Russia. Now, the Russian authorities all knew what the tanya was. And it was not the safest thing to get caught with one, because you knew, you identified yourself as a Lubavitcher. But this is what the Rebbe told him to do, this is what he did. He was walking the streets of Russia two or three days into his visit, one evening, when suddenly two sets of hands grabbed him, and they dragged him to a car, and they threw him in the car, and they started to drive off. Now, kidnapping in those days was quite popular. He rocked the boat up there. Kidnapping was very popular in those days, and he was scared that Chasrashon, this is what his case was. And so, as the car was driving off, he heard the people telling him not to worry. All will be well. Finally, they came to a secluded area, and his kidnappers 
identify themselves as two Chabad Chassidim. One was an older Chassid and one was a younger Chassid. And they told him, we have been watching you for a few days and we therefore know that it's safe to talk to you. And we would like you to do us a favor. When you go back to America, we want you to ask a question to the Rebbe for us. Go to the Rebbe, and we'll give you our names, and we have a question we have to ask the Rebbe. The older Chassid spoke first. He gave him his name and his mother's name, and Pinchas did not write it down, of course, because it's dangerous to keep carrying, get caught carrying somebody's name in your pocket. And he told him the following. I do a lot of shlichus here. I learn with people, I learn with children, I learn with things. I'm doing a lot of outreach mitzvahs. Unfortunately, Unfortunately, this happened before the fall of the Iron Curtain. Unfortunately, apparently, the Russian government, as they may be, has caught on to me. And they're coming down heavy on me. And they're looking very, very shortly to arrest me. But, since I'm here as a shliach of the Rebbe, I don't want to leave. Unless the Rebbe tells me to. So I want to know from the Rebbe, should I leave Moscow? Or, should I stay and continue and grow in my works? The other fellow said, the younger fellow said, I'm an engineer, and I have a very, very good paying job here. I have a good paying job. And I want to apply for a visa to Israel. However, if I apply for a visa to Israel, as soon as I apply for that visa, I lose my job. And then at Chasr Shalom, I get denied my visa then I'll have no job in no country. So I'm asking the Rebbe, should I apply for the visa or not, since people have been get, receiving visas lately. Rabbi Tites told him, I must tell you, this time the Rebbe sent me with a package, he also gave me a Tanya. He said, the Rebbe sent you personally a tiny said, yes. Do you have it? He said, of course. And he took it out of his pocket. And the two chassidim held on to this. Can we hold this? Can we touch this? This is a tanya that the Rebbe just handed, just, just handling. And the older chassid was looking at the tanya, and he noticed one of the pages had a bend in it. Like, you want to save a bookmark? You bend over the corner of the page. One of the pages was bent. He opened up the Tanya to that page, and in that page the Al writes about running, 
but going away from where you are to get away from the situation. Immediately he understood that the Rebbe put the fold on this page to answer his question. And the younger Chassid took the Tanya and he looked very, very carefully and found the second fold. And the second fold was open to a page about going living in Eretzisrael. So both Chassidim received their answers from the Rebbe before they even asked them. Rabbi Taitz was not a Lubavitcher Chassid. Not before the story, nor after the story. But he did know that the Rebbe was something, was somebody that you had to really revere and respect because as we see from the story itself, he saw openly the Rebbe's Ruach HaKedosh. Now again, these are questions. These two people had questions to ask. And these two people were jeopardizing themselves, jeopardizing their lives, and putting their lives in the hand of the Rebbe who they never saw. They lived behind the Iron Curtain and they never saw the Rebbe until that moment. And yet, as Chassidim, they had complete faith in their Rebbe to an extent that they were ready to put their lives in the hands of the Rebbe. Hisbalas Hashem, at the end of this week's parasha, we have a horrific story. And the snake goes around biting everybody. And as the snake bit everybody, Moshe was told to make a snake of fire, and he made a snake not of fire, of what copper, and the snake was placed. Adam Tress has to be signed in. You gotta watch the thing. I'm watching. That's why I'm telling you. Because you're watching it. I think I should watch it. He's looking around the middle of the bowl here, in the middle of the shiver here, take off my computer flying. He made the snake and he told the people, anyone that looks at the snake will be healed. And it will come to pass, anyone that will look at the snake will be healed. Now, Vahoya is a lashon of simcha, happiness, joy. What joy was there, the snake biting everybody? People dying left and right. The Medish tells us, Anybody who looked at the snake was healed, even if they had a different ailment prior. Looking at the snake, which ultimately made them raise their eyes up to heaven, similarly to the war of Amalek, when Moshe's hands were raised up. The Jews turned to Moshe and told him, Pray to God and get the snake out of here. And the Pasuk says, Vayispal Moshe be'ad ha'om. Moshe prayed for the nation. Rashi tells us a very profound statement. Mikan, from here we learn, Lemisha mivakshim imenu mechila, from whoever we ask to forgive us, 
A person should not be an achzer, should not be. Achzer is worse than stickheaded. It's worse than stubborn as well. Achzarius is a horrific, horrific attribute. They should not be this horrific person and hold back, withhold forgiveness. The Gemara and Baba Kama, Sadik Bezamarala, for those keeping home, score at home, 92 side A. We learn. How do we know if someone does not forgive that he is an Akzar? It says, Avram davened to God, and the Almighty healed Avimelech. In that case, doesn't say this. Our question is that in that case, why did we learn out from here by Moshe Rabbeinu that from Tvilas Moshe for the nation, we learn that you cannot be an Achzer and you must forgive. What's forgiveness? It's interesting. I don't know if the person that called yesterday with the Shaila called because they learned this Rashi or if they called because they had this dilemma they wanted to know what is the level of Mechila they wanted to know they wanted to know what is Nekoma and what is Netiro? If a person takes revenge on somebody, what does that mean? And if a person tells somebody, when I want to borrow your axe, and you don't lend me your axe, and then you come to me to borrow something and I tell you, here I am lending this to you even though you didn't lend to me when I asked. What is the categories that these fall into? And the person asked another question. Am I forgiving somebody if I still feel in my heart they wronged me. Can I consider this mechila It's not stubborn. An achzer is not stubborn. Bullheaded. No, it's not. Do it in Hebrew, you'll see. Good. Hope you know how to spell it. Um, so the person wanted to know how do I forgive? And the truth is that there are two things when it comes to forgiving. 
you can forgive a person just that they should not be punished for what they did to you. And therefore, you're only taking away the punishment from the person. But you don't care for the well-being of the person that did that wronged you. Just the opposite. It could be that you still have some kind of hard feelings against that person. And the other thing, the other form of forgiveness is that you wipe out totally from your heart. You eradicate from your heart any kind of sharp or hard feelings to this other person. And therefore, a person would even go as far as what you do? Therefore, the person would go as far as trying to reach out and help the person that hurt them. Okay, it's cruel, you see? merciless. There you go. Inhumane. An Akhzari is somebody that's, that's merciless or inhumane. Tiggerish. No. Yeah. But good, it says it, but <coughs> According to this, we can say. This is the difference between Avram's forgiveness and Moshe's forgiveness. When Avram forgave Avimelech, he didn't look to help him out. He davened that he shouldn't be punished. He prayed that Avimelech not be punished. But by Moshe, he goes on a limb to try to help the Jewish people. He goes to better for the betterment of the Jewish people. So when they looked at this Nachash, they were mistakal they looked up to heaven, and therefore they attached their hearts to the Almighty, and thereby they were healed, physically and spiritually. Therefore, by Avram Avinu, we could learn only if you didn't forgive, you're an Achzer. From here we learn, the way Moshe forgave, we learn another step higher. You shouldn't be an Achzer to forgive. In other words, that the Mechila itself should not be Achzerius. Should not be done with a wickedness. When you forgive, you should forgive not just full-heartedly, but even to a level that you'd like to help the person, even though they wronged you. And we ask, therefore, from the Almighty, the same thing. We ask Hashem to be that type of father, to be that level of a father, to forgive us for anything that we have done in this world. And as we had on Monday night, the extremely emotional gathering here in Granites. Thousands of people came up in the pouring rain and the torrential downpours and they were prepared to stand on the street in front of 770 to observe the video of the Rebbe <coughs> one hour. The people felt that it was too harsh and they went inside 770 ultimately. And it was very, very packed, to say the least. But it did not have the same effect. But we all turn and we ask the Almighty to forgive us 
The cry was battle cry was Shavas Achim Gam Yachad. We all sat united, arm in arm. The Moshe Rabbeinu of our generation. As Gimel Thomas is the Aschalta de Gula. On Gimel Thomas is the time where the Fidik Rebbe who was decreed to be killed, put to death, was given the notification that the death penalty was taken off, was lifted, and that he would only be sent to Kastrama. Ultimately, on Yudbeis Tamuz, he was given the notification that he was totally free. But the Ischalta Digula, the beginning of the redemption, and the Friedrich Rebbe told Reb Shmuel that what happened to him on Gimel Thomas is so great that we shouldn't say Tachman. Because that's when the beginning of his redemption took place. And being the leader of our generation, as the Rebbe refers to him always, We have to turn and look how the leader behaves, how the leader acts, and know how we should act. As we'll soon discuss, the effect of the leader in every generation. But a very little, almost comical story, a touching story, nonetheless. There's a little boy that was here in America for a few years, with his family. And it happened to be that the Rebbe would arrive in 770 every morning and the children would stand outside and the Rebbe would give them tzedakah, would give them coins. Mondays and Thursdays the Rebbe arrived at a quarter to ten. It was one morning the child overslept a little bit and he rushed out of the house and he started to pound his way to 770 and as he got to the corner of Brooklyn Avenue and Eastern Parkway, which is the block of 770, he saw the Rebbe's car going. The car obviously is going to go much faster than he can, and he'll miss the Rebbe because the Rebbe took a few seconds only to get up the steps. So he started to run as fast as he could, and suddenly the Rebbe's car started to slow down. The Rebbe's car went very slowly, and as he, the child got to the steps, the Rebbe's car pulled up, the Rebbe got out, gave everybody a tzedakah, the children smiled at this boy. And the Rebbe went inside. The secretary, Rabbi Klein, who drove the Rebbe, went over to the little boy and said, Who's your father? Where, you, where is your father, actually? And he told him where his father is. He says, Go call him, please. Tell him to come to my office. To the secretary's office. The child went and he called the father up. father came into the office Rabbi Klein said that when we turned into the block and came into the block the Rebbe noticed the little boy running and he knew why he was running so the Rebbe told me slow down drive slowly so the child can catch up the Rebbe allow me to explain to you in case you don't understand what that means when the Rebbe says slow down and he'll come a half a second later the Rebbe on occasion went up to the mountains, to Catskills, not for vacation, to see the camps, to see the girls' camp, Camp Amuna, and to see the boys' camp, Gan Yisrael. 
In those days, the roads weren't like they are today. And it took several hours to get up there. And of course, several hours to get back. And there was an hour or so that he was in each camp. I think the next year or something, when they asked, or the second year, third year, they asked the Rebbe to come again to camp. And the Rebbe said, I'm still trying to make up those hours that I went to camp then. By the Rebbe, every second was accounted for. And yet here, the sensitivity to this little child who wanted to catch the Rebbe and get Sadaka, out of the sensitivity, the Rebbe told the drivers, slow down. The Paraduma, the Rambam writes in many different things. In Hilchus Paraduma, the Rambam writes, "V'teisha paris aduma is not so. There were nine paris adumas made. Mishnah Stavino b'mitzvazu. From when this mitzvah was commanded, I don't know who just came out." Nine paradumas were brought. Nine paradumas. And then the Rambam writes, At Shekharava Bayesabhsheni, till the second bias Besamiglash was destroyed. The Asiris and the tenth one, Yasem Melech HaMashiach. The tenth one will be brought by Melech HaMashiach. Meheira Yegala Amen Ken Yehiratsan. That's how the, the Rambam writes it. That may he come quickly, Amen Ken Yehiratsan. So it should be the will. Allow us to understand the Rambam. The Rambam only wrote halachis. He only wrote laws. The Rambam did not write stories. He did not write prayers. He did not anything except for halacha. No supplications, nothing. In that case, what is it here that the Rambam adds? Meheda Yovei, Meheda Yigala, Amen Kenya Hiratsun. From here we actually hear, we actually see. The Rambam lets us know the actual foundation and the realm of our obligation of believing in Mashiach. When it comes to talking about the coming of Mashiach, the Rambam writes, the anyone who does not believe in him, someone does not await his coming, he is in denial of the Tera and of Meshe Rabbeinu. And from this we learn out, it's not enough just to believe in the coming of Mashiach. We are obligated to wait the coming of Mashiach. Now the nature of a person is, when he waits for something, and you mention it many times in front of him, even just passing, it awakens what he's waiting for. 
Um, whether it be a good food, whether it be a good car, or as they, the Almighty should bless everyone with children. Every time a person's reminded about children, they get welled up again. Therefore, this is what the Rambam, when he finishes off, anytime he mentions Melech HaMashiach, the Rambam automatically, on automatic pilot, writes, Meheri Yegola Menken Yeratsen. To let us know until how far the obligation is to await the coming of Mashiach. That it has to be so strong that the moment that it's mentioned, we mention Mashiach, even if it's just in the passing, it has to awaken by the person. The person has to be welled up. And he has to come to Davin and to ask that it should be, ha- it should be already. On this Rambam, though, we have a different question. Why is it that Rambam brings down that the tenth paraduma Melech HaMashiach is going to do? What halacha are we learning from that? Halacha Lamaisa is something we learn today, halachas. What halacha does it have to do with us today? And also, why does he mention how many parais were till now? There were nines, the tenth one. Taylor has learned, Pshat Terem is Drush and Said. Drush is something we have to derive from something. There's a Maimah Chazal in Shemais Rabbah that says, Had the Jews waited, either Hamtinu Yisrael, Lemesha, Vilehayu Eisem Eisem and would not, if the Jews would have waited for Moshe, that one more day, and would not have done that Aveda, Aveda the eagle, there would never be an exile, there would never be a Malachamovis. So therefore we find that death, impurity, all comes because of this Chetah eagle. All comes because of the sin of the golden calf. In the time of Mashiach, there'll be no such thing as death. He's alive, right? <laughs> like it says, Because then all the forgiveness for the actual sin of the eagle will take place. And if the sin of the eagle will be forgiven, then the decree and the cause of death will all be... Uh, absorbed. That's why the Rambam says it in this in this fashion. The number ten is a full number, and the Rambam's hinting that in the days of Mashiach, the kapara and the chet eagle will be full, will be totally forgiven for the sin of the eagle, and being forgiven for the sin of the eagle, there will be no more death. And the Ruach Tuma Abamin Oretz. Impurity, put him online. Yeah. The impurity of the worlds will also be eradicated from the world. And will make Melech HaMashiach 
Melchizedek will make the tenth potter, and he will do with that the completion. He will cause the completion of the cycles. which will ultimately bring all goodness and kindness into the world. Shach on the Tere writes, when it talks about Paraduma, V'yikra Lecha Paraduma, he writes, Why did it say Yikro Elecha? To tell us, Leima Shekala Parish Asidin Leosis Kulam Tzichin the Peroscho. All the Para Adumis, all the red heifers that were brought after Moshe's, that was the first one, need to come on to Moshe Rabbeinu's. Technician. All the paradumas that will in the future be brought after his, all eight, and ultimately the ninth, have in it mixed some of the offer of Meshe Rabbeinu's axe. Some of the ashes that Meshe Rabbeinu had burned from his axe, his paraduma, will also be used for every one of the red heifers thereafter. And this will be sent, this will be added together. Because it says, when it comes here to the story of the Paraduma, the Torah tells us, And it will be always kept by the Jewish nation. If it's always kept by the Jewish nation, how is it kept by the Jewish nation? Amr Abiyasi said, Remes, this is a hint, Shekalaparis, Kalis, Meshekayemes. All other paris will be totally wiped out, and Meshes par will remain. Why is this mitzvah different, changed from all other mitzvahs in the Torah? So much so that this mitzvah is totally dependent on Moshe Rabbeinu, on Moshe our teacher. How much so dependent that they had to use ashes from his potter in order for their axe to be able to purify anyone that was impure from a dead person. They needed to mix in ashes that were used by Moshe Rabbeinu. What happens when the person is sprayed with this mixture of the paraduma? It doesn't just wipe out the impurity of the person, but it takes away the entire cause, which is death. We find by Meshach Rabbeinu that it's said about him, the Chazal tell us, and we'll see in the Sech the Seita, the Aftes, the bottom of Amr Aleph, 
for those that are keeping score at home, that the works of Meisha, Shemasa Yidei Meisha, Nitzchim Heim, the works of Meisha Rabbeinu, are perpetual. Whatever our teacher, our master Moshe had done, went on forever and ever. Not just his actual work that he did with his hand, but anything that's connected to Meisha Rabbeinu. <laughs> Even though it says, Vayamos Sham Meisha, Meisha dies, still in all the Chazal tell us, Lay Meis Meisha. The sages tell us that Moshe did not die. Just like over there he was doing and serving, so too over here he's doing and serving. This again is brought down to the Gemara Seita on Dafyid Gimel at the bottom of Ahmed Bez. So we find therefore one of the inyanim, a special inyanim of Meshir Abenu is the inyan of Nitzchis, perpetuality. And this is the purity of the Paraduma that needs to come on to the purity of the original ox that Meshir Abenu sacrificed. Because through perpetuating Meshir Abenu, this Perpetual uh, perpetuality that comes about causes that it's possible to ultimately terminate all death and wipe out all death from the world. So when we talk about a day of a yard site, a Mordechai ben Menashe, we look forward to on this day the prophecy of a Kitsu, Veranenu Sheikh Neofar. And we will see and marry. What did you shake it for? That the he amongst us, Malachi ben Menashe, together with all of us. And we will dance and rejoice into Yerushalayim Irakadish. Ultimately, we find in this week's parsha the disappearance, with the passing of Miriam, the disappearing of the be- of the Be'er, Miriam Anavia, the sister of Moshe and Aaron, passes away. And we know. That there were different things that the Jews had in the desert. They had the clouds that surrounded them, and they had the well of Miriam that went with them. They drank the water from the well of Miriam. We have a very interesting happening in this week's parsha where they want to travel, and during the journey, they want to cut across land. The king of Edom, though, turns to them and says, No, you will not go through my land. And Moshe tells them something very interesting. We will not drink from the water. We will purchase every drop that we take. And the water that Moshe refers to, he says only the singular, that one river, that one well. If they're going through the land of Edom, I'm sure there was myriad of wells, myriad of 
rivers and of different water for water sources. But Adam did not pass, right? Yes, but why does Moshe refer to the one singular well that he would not drink from? It wasn't kosher. But rather everything would be bought. We learn from here, says Rashi, that when you come to someone's home as a guest, when you come to an inn as a guest, you should not eat and drink your tzedel aderech, the food and the drink that you prepared, but rather purchase in the city the food and the drink so that your host is repaid in kind. Which means to say when you go on a journey, you go on a road trip, and you come to a city that has kosher food, even though you prepared and packed food, the Torah tells us that you should covet haksanya, to give honor to the guest, to your host, to honor your host properly, you should purchase food there. And this is what Moshe taught us. That although we have the Be'er Miriam, we have the well, the singular well of Miriam, which is the source of water for us throughout the desert. There's an open bottle there. Which is the source of the water that the Jews have been using throughout in the desert. Moshe says we will not drink from there, but rather we will purchase every drop of water as we travel through your land. And he says, no, I cannot let you through because Ben Netzah and Zikras say, maybe I will go against you in battle. Because Why would you battle me? What are you fighting for? No. No. What he told him was, he said, listen, Moshe, there's a fact in the world that there are allies that are formed. And different nations form allies. Should one of our nation, our allies go to war with you, we would have to join them. We'd have to back them up. In order to join our allies, we'd have to fight your nation. I don't need you to know every nook and cranny in my nation. So therefore, if I let you through the nation, if I let you through my land, you will then know everything in my land. In case I ever have to battle against you, Pen, in case I would have to go to war with you, I don't want to have that problem. And that's why he wouldn't let them through the land now, so they shouldn't see his land. But when it comes to the end of the Pasha, the water is not there because, because Miriam passed away. Middle of the Pasha. Moshe is told, Kachas Hamate. Take the staff and David al speak to the stone. Now we've said this before, but I find it so interesting that I, I feel it's worthwhile repeating. As we also have to give a shout out towards the end of the year always, of course, to Moshe Halevi Sani, that he should have long life and happiness and we should hear a shidduch for him quickly. Oh and... Um, because of his sponsorship of the uh, monitor and the I need a laptop too, please. <laughs> Can you hear me down there? Don't ignore me. I'll stop. So, Moshe Rabbeinu was told 
take the staff. What was the famous staff? Hamata means the famous staff. Which famous staff and why talk to the st- why would the staff talk to the stone? He says, Take the staff and talk to the stone. I talk to the stone with my mouth, and I'm talking to the staff. With... And which staff are we referring to? Are we referring to Moshe's staff? It's his staff. They just say, Take your staff. Why is he saying, Take the staff? What famous staff is he talking about? Oh, they're nine minutes out. <laughs> and the answer to this is, it's called Moshe. Called Yankee. Takes Yankee, tell him the boys will be here in five minutes. The answer is that last week's Pasha with Kerach, when Kerach stood up against Moshe, Aaron Akoin took his staff and his staff blossomed. It turned into almonds and flowers. The Almighty says to Moshe, take that staff, that famous staff that just did such a great performance, take that and let the staff talk to the stone. Let the staff tell the stone, listen here, when God's name was in jeopardy and people were mocking God's decisions, I came through, I was a dry piece of wood, not attached to the ground or anything else, and yet I blossomed flowers, I blossomed almonds. Why? To sanctify God's name. Therefore you, Mr. Stone, which it's not your nature to give out water, you get water out of a stone, is a common... Um, not saying, it's, it's a... It's a a type of a joke that you would say about somebody. It's like taking water out of a stone. Insult. So you, Mr. Stone, who it's against your nature to give out water, follow my lead. Read my lips. Follow my lead, and you give out water to sanctify God's name. And therefore he tells them, take the famous staff, and let that staff speak to the stone. I'd just like to finish off with one quick story. Generally, when you walk into a yeshiva in Chabad, or you walk into shul in Chabad, and you say, Mendel, you see a lot of heads turn around. Rachel Mendel is a very popular name in the Babich. Why? As is Yosef Yitzchak, because the third of the his name was Menachem Mendel. <coughs> However, when you go to a public school and you see this real Italian-looking kid, or a college, and you got a real Italian-looking kid whose name is Mendel, your eyebrows start to raise. Mendel O'Brien doesn't sound right. It does. But there is just such a boy. No, and the boy is called Mendel. Many years ago when the Rebbe would travel to the Eil, the Rebbe would travel with a police escort. 
God. Amongst the policemen, there was one Italian fellow who would spend the day with the Rebbe by the hill, not knowing when the Rebbe would leave, so that he could escort the Rebbe going and coming. During the time when he would be there, he would talk to the other people that accompanied the Rebbe, and became quite friendly with them. And they explained to him that Rebbe goes to the hill, he prays for mankind, for Judaism, for all the Jews of the world. And they asked him, he asked them, does the Rebbe only pray for Jews? And they said, no. The Rebbe prays for the entire world. So he said that he had no children, he was married nine years, and they had just found out from the doctors, they had told the tests and everything, that they cannot have children. Would he be able to ask the Rebbe a bracha for a child, a blessing? And they said, sure. So he stood by the Rebbe's door, car, <coughs> and when the Rebbe came out, he asked the Rebbe, Rebbe, do you only help Jewish people? And the Rebbe said, no, of course not, I help the entire mankind. Rebbe, would you give me a blessing for a child who is childless? So the Rebbe told him, write down your name on a paper and your father's name, and your wife's name and her father's name, and give me the paper and I'll take it and I'll pray for you. Nine months later, they were blessed with a little boy. They were blessed with a little boy, and they said, okay, we got to name him. So the police officer said, this boy's name is Mendel. He's going to be named after the Rebbe. So obviously the wife and the families went ballistic. Are you crazy? You're tabooing your son, who's not Jewish, in this part of the stretch of imagination. With a name like Mendel, they're all going to laugh at him, and they're going to make fun of him, and they're going to start with him in school. And he said, I don't care. I want, every time I call this child's name, I should remember he's a blessing from the Lubavitch Rebbe. The doctors had no idea, could not understand the fathom how this child came about, because medically speaking, it was impossible for them to give birth. But yet, from the Baruch from the Rebbe, and this guy had the feeling to want to remember and to appreciate what the Rebbe had done for him and therefore named his child Mendel so that this child could perpetuate the name of the person that gave him the bracha. So may we all merit to perpetuate the Rebbe's name or to see in real in physical, real life, the blessings of the Rebbe come into fruition, so that we can see that those that need children, those that need Shaduchim, that they should merit this very, very speedily, not to have to wait for another sign, not to have to wait for another miracle, not to have to wait for another hour, but to those who need to get married should be able to get married easily, and those who need to have children should have children easily, and everything should come into fruition so that we should ultimately have the Parah Duma Asiri, the tenth 
cat, a red heifer, which is brought to you by Melech HaMashiach, Amen, Cain, Yehi, Ratzin. Shabbat Shalom to all.